growing up, I listened to like a lot of Aerosmith. <laughs> John Bon Jovi. I mean, I was absolutely a child of, of the 80s and the early 90s because that's what was on MTV. MTV had just started. I remember when MTV used to have music videos. That's Craig Kier of Annapolis Opera. He currently directs the Maryland Opera Studio at the University of Maryland. He has also been guest conductor for many opera companies around the country. On this episode, we talked about why Craig commutes from Northeast Philadelphia to Annapolis to conduct our opera, how his 10-year-old's critiques are unexpectedly brilliant, and how a love for Aerosmith helped him grow as a musician. It's so great to have Craig here in Annapolis. Let's get to it. For me, it's like having a rock star here on the podcast. So it's Well, that's kind of you, but it's a total pleasure for me to be here, <laughs> no matter what my status is in each person's life. <laughs> After looking at your background and the, the different operas that you've mm-hmm. conducted, there's so much Mozart. Yeah, yeah. No, Tell me more. Tell me why. So, you know, um, people often ask, like, what's your favorite piece to conduct? And my kind of stock answer is whatever I'm working on at that moment, because it kind of has to become that. And, um, you know, opera is an Italian art form, and it's been around for a long time. So what that means is there's a lot of history to the canon, that a lot more operas have been written in the past than are being written right now, because we have you know 250 to 300 years worth of repertoire. And Mozart uh, was kind of the rare example of someone who was able to write in every possible genre that was popular at the time. And his operas are extraordinary because they were really breakthrough for the moment. He was able to take people... And instead of having one person sing at a time, he was able to find a way for two and three and four and eventually, you know, an entire ensemble to sing at the same time with their own unique musical voice. And, and no s- one had done that before. And no one had done that before. And if you go to see an opera that Handel wrote, they're amazing, but it's one person on stage singing at a time. And the only time people talk to each other is when they're singing what we call the recit or the recitative, where they're, it's with a harpsichord and it's people speaking basically back and forth. So it's how you move the plot forward, essentially. Mozart was able to take the plot moving forward with the orchestra playing underneath and every singer singing something unique. The other thing is that Mozart didn't live very long And he was not necessarily the most buttoned up kind of person. I mean, he lived life on the edge. And he was really interested in making strong political statements to the degree of which he was able to because the people paying his bills were actually the aristocracy. So he had to kind of like toe this line. So like the marriage of Figaro is essentially, um, it would be on the Bernie Sanders reading list. Let's say that. Like it's all about the class system and the people who actually are the people who can, who are really smart and can move things forward are the middle class and audiences still to this day love what they hear and what they see because it's a familiar musical language. It also has a reason to be done. It's, it still matters. Truly the, the stories still matter. And we can see that played out with audiences that are uh, experienced opera goers and people that are coming for the first time. And I think that's a pretty extraordinary thing. So that's probably one of the many reasons that Mozart exists, uh, I, that I've done so much Mozart. Yeah, It's pretty clear that you know a ton about this. Is this from working in it for so long or education or a combination of both? I'd say a combination of both. So what is, we'll start undergrad education. What'd yeah. you do? So I got, um, I have a music ed degree, just like Phil. 
<laughs> um, so I was going to be a band director, I thought. My parents were both public school teachers. I was the only musician in my family. And I really, uh, I, I had a neighbor uh, when I was young who played the piano, who took piano lessons. And I said, I want to take piano lessons. And so at age seven, I started playing the piano. And it turned out I was pretty good at it. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just liked to play the piano. It was it was like a great thing to spend time. And, and it was like a great outlet. And um, I wanted to quit quite a bit when I got better at it. But my mom made me stay with it. So thank you, mom. And then I went on and got a music ed degree because I thought, oh, I, I want to teach kids. This sounds really cool. And then I got in the middle of that and went, I'm not sure I'm going to be the greatest teacher. And so then I went on to grad school. Wait, uh, let's stop there. Why didn't you think you'd be the greatest teacher? So, which is ironic because, of course, now I teach. I had the most amazing person I was assisting named Steve Schuwen, who got his doctorate of musical arts in uh, composition from Eastman. He was also a horn performance major. I mean, he was like, he truly was a rock star. And I looked at that and went, I, um, I, I'm, he's amazing. I don't think I can sustain what he does on a daily basis, which is uh, uh, 6 a.m. jazz band and then 7 a.m. school day starts and then staying late to do. I mean, I just looked at him and went, I, I don't I can't do this. Like, I, there, there's no way. And I'm not sure I want to because I think that there's other people who are much better at it than me. I, I enjoyed it, but I was uh, I was self-aware enough to go. I think I want to keep playing the piano. Like, I think I want to keep like not necessarily teaching music, but figuring out what it is I could do with this. And so my education was much more about learning how to be a good musician. Like, what are the values of musicianship? How do you listen? How do you help someone without them knowing it? It is tough being in school and, and hearing your classmates talk about how excited they are to go out and start their band gigs and, right. and go out and, and start the 6 a.m. jazz rehearsals and things. And I think that happens for a lot of people in college where you, you pick a major and you think you're passionate about one thing, mm -hmm. but then ultimately you, you meet other people and you see that they're either more driven towards that particular goal. But if with you being a vocal accompaniment major, your piano chops have to be incredibly good. Your, your, uh, your sight reading has to be amazingly good. So, you know, it's interesting because actually... If you're a solo major and you're playing in front of an orchestra, your piano chops have to be amazing. And I wasn't good enough to do that. <laughs> so okay. actually, I, I feel like I took the easy way out by being like, well, I can't play Rachmaninoff like that. So I guess I'll go and be a vocal accompany major. I, so it's it's not as simple as that because I really didn't want to spend time in the practice room by myself all the time. I wanted to be around other people. And, and I thought, what's a path to do that? And yeah, you do need to have good piano chops. You do. But you also learn the repertoire that in such a way that you start to see that um, you can play this song in this key or you can play it in another key and, and you use your ears and your eyes start to sync up in such a way. You don't feel like you're always sight reading. Can you sight read though? I mean, I can sight read pretty well cause I've had to, um, but I'm not nearly as good of a sight reader as many people. There are some people who are expert sight readers. It's like we each have our strengths as musicians. And so I think my strength has been, learning music quickly and being able to get up to a high enough level in which I could like take all the gigs that I needed to when I first started out. You hear this story all the time. I love to listen to podcasts about entrepreneurs or just hear the stories of them because I want to be like them. And they say that same thing all the time. I, I sat down with the big shot CEO. His company needed something that my company should be able to provide. And he said, you got the job. 
and they're like, cool, now I have to go learn how to do the job because I have no idea. I have to hire five people. We, we, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And because they can figure it out, they succeed and they create huge, amazing companies. You know, an opera conductor, like when I, I've got two young boys. And so, you know, we go to the soccer games and, and uh, our oldest is, is, uh, going to be 10 and our youngest is five. And so we go to these soccer games and we meet the parents and they say, what do you do? And, and I say, I'm a conductor. And they say, oh my gosh, you, you were like, you, you drive trains, you drive trains. Exactly. I said, no, I'm, I'm actually an opera conductor. And like, and then the conversation usually kind of gets quiet because like, oh, well, that's cool. And I say, actually, you know, it is sort of interesting. And have you ever been to an opera? And many people say no, which I think is too bad because we've really messed up this idea that like opera is some sort of like elevated art form that you need to prepare before you walk in and see it. Because once people come, they find something they can enjoy because what is true is it's the most complicated art form because there's sets, there's costumes, there's often dancing, there's a chorus, there are soloists, there's an orchestra. There's almost always something you can look at and watch and enjoy. And it, it can be different for you than it is uh, the, of, uh, that is for your date or from a family member or, your, or your, the person who's next to you. We want people to come and simply have a reaction and feel something. And it could be that you come to an opera and say, I didn't like that. At which point I say, great, because it means you were moved. Now, come back and see another one and see if you like that. Because when you go to see a movie and you think, I didn't like that movie, like, doesn't mean you don't ever go back to the movies. You just go to a different you one. You go to a different one. Yeah. And, and you know, there's serious operas. There's funny operas. There's everything in between. Just like almost every genre that exists. And that's what's so important, I think, about what we need to do when we invite audiences in to, to our, our space. It's funny you bring that up because I'm going to find my first opera this Friday yeah. to see La Boheme, which you're conducting. And I was just about to ask, what should I know before I walk in? Sounds like just what time it starts. Yeah. I mean, you, it depends on what you want to get out of it. Do you want to discover the story in real time or do you want to know the story before? And that's up to you as an audience member. You don't have to do any preparation. Some people love to listen to the music before. If you, um, if you went to go see Hamilton, if you spent time listening to it before you went to go see Hamilton, you got something different out of it than if it was hitting you for the very first time. It's the same way with opera. And um, it's sung in Italian, but there are titles above the stage so you know what's being said. And um, so I don't need to learn Italian. So in you four don't days. need to learn Italian in four days. Now, if often if you just listen to the music, you're going to have an idea what it's about. You're not going to watch Mimi at the end of the opera and probably need to look up at the titles to know what's happening based on the stage action, but also the music that supports it. Much different than ballet in that way. You can go to a ballet and listen to the music and see what's happening and, and still be confused. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Now a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hey, Ryan, you're the Annapolis expert. I don't know about that, but what's up? Where's the best place to watch a Ravens game? Well, the best place is M&T Bank Stadium, but the best place in Annapolis is actually in Severna Park. Really? Where's that? Romulo's Restaurant and Bar. Oh, yeah? Tell me more. Well, first of all, Romulo's has amazing food, way better than anything you find at a sports bar. What do you get when you're there? Definitely pizza, and the gyros are awesome. You mean the gyros. No, 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 the gyros are awesome. I think it's gyros. Anyway, 
Chris, the owner, tells me the wings are amazing. I haven't had them yet, but I'm going to try them this Sunday while I watch the Eagles game. Ah, uh, I'm a Ravens fan. Well, Romulo's has NFL ticket, so you can watch literally any game you want. That's great for tracking your fantasy teams. Sure is. And the prices are so much better than going to the stadium. Romulo's has $14 beer buckets. That's five Bud Lights. What about craft beer? Absolutely. And Romulo's offers $10 pizzas and wing platters for just 13 bucks. And the parking is probably easy and free because we're not at the stadium. Yes, it is. You want to go to Romulo's this Sunday? Okay, I'm there. 478 Ritchie Highway in the heart of Severna Park. Yep, first beer's on me. Oh, man, so generous. You're buying the pizza. <laughs> I'll see you there at Romulo's this Sunday. When I saw Hamilton, I did listen to the music before mm-hmm. on the way to the show in a driving snowstorm. This Friday, I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm going to just go and be surprised. There's something amazing about going to see your first opera because you'll remember it. You'll remember almost everything about it if you're aware of it. And, you know, being in a space and hearing the unamplified human voice sing with an orchestra that is, you know, 40 to 60 players with a chorus on stage that is, you know, 30 to 40 people. There's something pretty amazing about one voice in an unamplified manner can sustain sound for hours and it can hit your ears as an audience member and you'll be able to distinguish those different voices. I mean, it, it is an Olympic sport, singing is. Singing opera is, especially. You said you had two kids. Yes. And does your family live in Annapolis with you? So we live north of Philadelphia because that's what we do. Um, and so they're, they're going to come down. Actually, my family will be there Friday night to, to see it. Uh, our son, Cooper, has seen many operas and is is usually a like a spot-on critic. He'll like ask me a question. I'll think, oh, I didn't think of that. Good see call. The five-year-old or the 10-year-old? The 10-year-old. Okay. Yeah. It'd be pretty impressive if it was the five-year-old. Yeah. The, the five-year-old hasn't had as much experience, uh, but he's also pretty honest. He'll let me know exactly what he thinks. I mean, he'll say, that was awfully long. He's not wrong when he says that, of course. <laughs> um, and my wife is actually a trained singer, um, and she sang for years and then um, moved into the sort of the administrative side, uh, and she works for Philadelphia uh, Orchestra um, as a fundraiser. So we live we live north of Philly, but um, I spend a lot of time in Annapolis, and it's an amazing town, and my family loves to come and visit as much as they can because, oh my gosh, it's just remarkable. So why, if you're in Philly, are you working with the Annapolis Opera? I've been here, uh, this is my third year as artistic and music director. There are not a lot of places like Annapolis that have a thriving arts community. There's an active board of an organization that really wants to create um, uh, a long-term plan for how an arts organization can can, uh, can bloom and grow. Uh, being part of an, uh, a community that actually has not just a an opera, but also a symphony, a ballet, a youth orchestra. I mean, Maryland Hall is, is a remarkable place when you think of all of the arts that exist there. And then a town this size, you know, I think punches above its weight in a, in a really amazing way. And you think of the people that live here, uh, people that maybe have moved from the D.C. metro area, um, people who have second homes here, and then people who are Annapolitans from the very beginning. Um, it means it's a place that you want to be. And, and so for me to be able to lead an arts organization that is beginning its 50th year of existence is a great opportunity and one that is is filled for me with joy as I discover this town and discover like what are all the possibilities that exist for this organization and how can we become 
not the best kept secret in town, but something that's integral that everybody knows about this organization, that knows about Annapolis Opera and knows that opera is for everyone, truly. So, so that's why it's, it's absolutely worth, you know, commuting down here and being here because, because it's, it's something I believe in so deeply and I think is going to, I know that I'm contributing to something long term, no matter how long I'm here. That's a really awesome answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was looking at your repertoire on your website, there's all kinds of uh, amazing symphonic pieces that are very difficult to conduct. And when I see that someone has, has done these different pieces, I always think to myself, I wonder what they listen to that's not classical music. Oh. Because you and I are around the same age. Mm-hmm. meaning that you grew up in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Are you a Pearl Jam fan? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> what, what, what kind of current music, what kind of contemporary music do you like? So, it's a great question. I listen to jazz. I, listen, I mean, I used to love listening to Jason Mraz. I still do. I shouldn't say I used to. I will listen to the polar opposite. And growing up, I listened to like a lot of Aerosmith. <laughs> John Bon Jovi. I mean, I was absolutely a child of of the 80s and the early 90s because that's what was on MTV. MTV had just started. I remember when MTV used to have music videos. And so I used to love that music because it was it was if it was what pop culture was at the time. Do I spend as much time listening to that now? Probably not. No, because sometimes I just also listen to podcasts and I just want to kind of clean out my ears. I'm a long distance runner and I never listen to anything when I run. Because it's just time to kind of chill out. I come home with what I think are brilliant ideas, which are usually okay ideas after long runs. But I don't find that. But if you run long enough, you get enough ideas that one of them might be good. This is very true. That's Maybe it's just the law of averages. What are the three operas Annapolis Opera is doing this season? Great question. So we begin uh, with Giacomo Puccini's La Boheme. And then this fall, we perform a work that's never been done here before in Annapolis, a work by uh, originally a German composer who then came to the U.S. named Kurt Weil uh, called Lost in the Stars. And it was his last stage work, but it's a really important work that I want more people to, to know about. People know Kurt Weil from the Three Penny Opera. Yes, exactly. Yes. You actually know his music really well. And when, when, he, when was he working and writing? So he died um, in 1949. Okay. So yeah, he, like, there were a lot of, of composers that fled Nazi Germany and came to the U.S. And they became often like film composers. They either kind of ended up in L.A., or they ended up in New York. Kurt Weil ended up in New York, and he ended up um, even wanting his name to be pronounced Kurt Weil when he came to the U.S. because he want he he really believed in becoming part of the the world in which he now lived, which was in the U.S. And so, Lost in the Stars is full of a Broadway sound from you know the the forties and the fifties. Uh, jazz music, like it's a very familiar musical idiom. Even if you don't know the piece, you're going to get a lot out of. Uh, and it's an incredibly moving story. So that's our, our fall opera, Kurt Vile's Lost in the Stars. And the uh, the third one is Marriage of Figaro. On your website, it, it states uh, the best of opera buffa. Yes. What is opera buffa? Ryan, since you don't know as much about Italian opera or and, opera in and, general. And by as much, you mean nothing. <laughs> nothing. Since this is your third conversation about opera that you've ever had. Um, what do you think opera buffa is? I have no idea. What does it sound like? What, what does the word sound like? 
It sounds kind of silly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So is it comedy opera? Yeah, it's comedy opera. Exactly. Yeah. And it's one of the greatest comic operas of our time, Marriage of Figaro is, because it brings together so many complicated plots that seem ridiculous and they couldn't possibly happen. And as they reveal themselves, even the audience is surprised. Well, I know what you mean because when people go to see The Marriage of Figaro, there are parts of it where the love story is so romantic Mm -hmm. and the music is so romantic. And then there are parts of it that are so funny and the political part of what happens in the end, it's all there. It's, It's everything to make a fantastic story and to make it just as relevant nowadays as it would be yeah which kind of brings us back to this first part of the conversation we had about what is mozart why why is there mozart that's still being performed and why is so much mozart performed he was able to take such complicated things and put them together and if you go see a straight play one person is speaking at a time and if they start to talk over each other it gets confusing and mozart's able to take all of these different points of view and layer them and you can actually, you understand because of the music and because of even some of the titles that are provided that give you an idea of what's being said all at the same time. And he does it in a way that is is genius, like ingenious amusing. So Ryan, you have a busy um, year coming up with opera. It is a good thing I'm an Annapolis Opera subscriber. Amazing. I will be at all three shows. Fantastic. It was not very expensive either. I bought, I think, the best seats I could, two of them. For every show, and I, I want to say it was around 400 or 450. I mean, talk about a fun Friday evening. Yeah. To me, you said the mystique of opera keeps some people away. The mystique of opera is what's bringing me in on Friday. Amazing. I'm so excited. Awesome. I can't wait to talk to you after. You're experiencing something that will never be repeated in the same way again. And it almost makes it kind of a sacred space for a lot of people because you're going to get something out of it no matter what. And my job as a conductor and artistic director is to make sure that we do everything we can to create a memorable experience that you want to come back and experience again for the uniqueness of that moment. So how many months of the year, how many nights of the year do you think you're here? So I'm here for each production about a month at a time. And so I may be here like three months a year. So what are your favorite restaurants in Annapolis? So I'm the wrong person to ask. And the reason is because I'm always rehearsing at night. (laughs) <laughs> so I love lemongrass. Um, I also love curate and ceremony. So I, I'm a big coffee shop person because they're open when I'm not in rehearsal. We, we rehearse six days a week and they're almost always at night and we'll get like a random Wednesday off. And sometimes I have to run to like other meetings instead of like going and enjoying. So my time enjoying Annapolis has to do with like walking around downtown, meeting with donors, meeting with, with ticket buyers, um, kind of, getting to know them, and that's how I get to know the Annapolis community. I just want to know, what are your dreams? From from this point, yeah. what haven't you accomplished yet that you're really hoping to? I mean, I... I think my, I mean, I, I feel like in some ways I'm living my dream. You know, if I, I, I've, I've earned a living as a professional musician since I basically left college. You know, that's a pretty, you know, amazing uh, thing. And it's because of a lot of luck, a lot of kindness, and a lot of hard work. Um, I think in a lot of ways, my, my dream has much more to do with what I'm able to do with any organization that I'm part of. And that is inspiring people and passing on a love of, of this art form and a curiosity to keep it going so that 
uh, you know, we're always talking about, oh my gosh, the audiences are, are so old in classical music. Well, guess what? They, they've often been old, and that means that there's new older people who are coming <laughs> to see these things. So, yes, and I think that has to do with because when you're raising a family, you're busy. You may not have the disposable income. Uh, and, and what I'm interested in doing is making sure that we can start to build an audience that is all the generations, that, it, that uh, you see everyone from your community there because it's worth the investment on all of our part. And that, that's what our job is to do. So that, that's very much what my dream is, is to find a way to make sure that when you look at the audience in Annapolis Opera, you see your entire community reflected. And we have work to do, and I really, uh, that's certainly one of my main goals here. I'm doing my part, representing the mid-20s at the Annapolis Opera. Thank you so much for being here. Real pleasure. Thanks, yes. guys. It's wonderful speaking with you. Thanks. Yeah, good luck tonight in rehearsal. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Naptown Scoop Show. Our theme music is Moving On by Seth Walker, and our wonderful producer is Mr. Evan McGee. To learn more about Naptown Scoop, go to naptownscoop.com and subscribe to the newsletter. To learn more about Yoga Factory Annapolis, go to yogafactoryannapolis.com and visit one of our locations in Annapolis or Crofton. Thank you for listening to the Naptown Scoop Show. 